Chapter 27. Who's ready? All right. Context is important. Chapter 26, if you, will, if you will remember, chapter 26, we started a new subject. We said in chapter 26, we started with a metaphor. Remember the wrestlers? There was a wrestler. He should have won. By all rights, he should have won. But he was feeling down. Emotionally, he was feeling down, and so he lost to an inferior opponent. And so, too, in life, in order to execute this system that the Alta Rebbe has given us, we need to be in a... Yes, we have to be in a good mood, we have to be happy, we have to overcome all emotional obstacles. Chapter 26, we spoke about two major causes for emotional negativity. This is just review. The first one, we said, well, we said there's two sources. There are worldly problems, and there are spiritual problems. So worldly problems means like we say, family problems, health problems, and money problems. Those are problems of this world. Um, and we explained how to get over that. I'm not going to review that whole thing. Okay. Then in the second half of chapter 26, we spoke about spiritual problems. What are spiritual problems? Spiritual problems we spoke about in chapter 26 are past transgressions, where we did something wrong and we feel bad about it. And we called that emotion, what did we call that emotion, where we did something wrong and we feel bad about it? Guilt. Guilt. Very good. We called it guilt. Okay. And we spoke about how to deal with guilt. And again, we're not going to go over chapter 26 again. Oh, thank you so much. We're not going to go over chapter 26 again. But in chapter 26, we spoke about how to deal with guilt. And basically the point was to get rid of it because it's not productive. It's just dragging us down. Um, we have to stay focused on positivity. Okay. Now, chapter 27 is going to deal with another one of these emotional demons. And it's related very closely to guilt, but it's different than guilt. I once heard it explained that guilt is about what you have done. Shame is about who you are. The end of chapter 26 deals with guilt. I feel bad about what I've done. And chapter 26 explains to us how to deal with it productively, meaning how to do teshuva without getting pulled down into the mire. 27 is talking about when I feel bad and I haven't even done anything. I haven't done anything, to use our Tanya terminology. Nothing entered my levushim, it didn't enter garments. It wasn't an action, it wasn't even speech, it wasn't even purposeful thought, then what was it? If it wasn't thought, speech, or action, it wasn't any type of soul garment, then on what level is it happening? Remember, behind the soul garments, there's a soul, right? Chapter 4 was about the soul garments. Chapter 3 is about the composition of the soul. What's the composition of the soul? Remember the ten faculties? Two categories within the ten, the three and the seven. Cognitive and emotional. Okay, so basically, behind my soul garments are the emotions that are expressed through the garments. So what we're talking about here 
our emotions. Not that I've done it. God forbid, I would never do it. But I'd like to do it. I have an emotional connection to this thing. That's what chapter 27 is dealing with. It is addressing my shame, my self-hatred over the types of things to which I find myself attracted. Where I experience desire that is not in line with Hashem's will for me. So I might think, remember, we're going one by one through all the different excuses for being unhappy, and then we're negating each one of those excuses. So I might think, I have a pretty good reason now to, to, to be sad. Of course I should be sad. Look at what kind of a miserable person I am, that I am a, I'm drawn to these unwholesome things. That has to be a good reason to be sad, says the Alter Rebbe. No, it's not. It is not a good reason to be sad. In fact, says the Alter Rebbe here, and this is a major chidush, this is a radical point, the Alter Rebbe says, not only should you not be sad about the fact that you are drawn to these types of things, you should actually be happy about it. You should be happy. Well, hold on a second. You're going to tell me not to be sad. Okay, I hear. Because if I'll get sad, then I'll... Then I'll, then I'll remember we spoke about chapter 26, the vicious cycle? about I feel guilt, and then from the guilt, then I'm feeling pain, and then I want relief from my pain, and then I'm feeling low self-esteem, and I have a low opinion of myself anyway, so I go for easy indulgence, and then I, and then I get feel, feel greater guilt. Okay, so I get, the, I get the point that I shouldn't feel bad because then it'll cause a vicious cycle, but I should feel happy? I should feel happy? Now, if you've been following along in Tanya, You'll, you'll actually recognize this as a, as a theme in time. In fact, maybe I would even say it is one of the most prominent recurring themes in Tanya. And that is that not only is it acceptable, not only is it okay to have to struggle to give Hashem what He wants, but furthermore, the struggle itself is part of what Hashem wants. It's not only that we're saying it's okay that it takes you an extraordinary amount, an extraordinary amount of effort in order to produce uh, the, the behavioral bottom line results. We're saying more than that. The fact that it takes extraordinary effort, that has inherent value unto itself. The effort itself has value. Do you remember chapter 15? Remember chapter 15? Which part? The two types of Bainanim? The Bainanim who has it easy? And then the Bainanim who is, who's finding it difficult to be a Bainanim. And the al went as far as to say that the one who's a Bainanim who's coasting is not even serving a chef. Because service has to, service by definition is struggle. If there's no struggle, it's not service. Now, doesn't mean that it has no value. Obviously, if he's producing bottom line, the right behaviors, the behaviors have value. But what we're saying is there's also value, there's additional value to the struggle. So if somebody produces the bottom, bottom line results, and he could do it with struggle or without struggle, which has greater value? 
to do uh, okay here here are the three options to struggle and not produce bottom line results to struggle and produce bottom line results to not struggle but to produce the bottom line results Right, so we want both. Okay, I just want to be clear. They're not glorifying or glamorizing the idea of uh, some sort of tragic figure who works so hard and fails. That's not what we're talking about. The Altareba wants us to be him, and that means we have to produce the bottom line behaviors. However, what we're saying is if you had a choice, and lucky for us, we don't really have this choice. <laughs> no one really asked us if it's a struggle. It just kind of is. But if you had a choice, in theory, uh, between producing those results without effort or producing them with effort, then not only is it okay that it's so hard for us to give Hashem the behaviors that He wants, it's actually even more valuable because there's value in the behaviors and there's value in the struggle. So then the people who are wired to do the right thing will feel sad that they're wired that way. <laughs> and then you'll have to deal with that. That's a valid question. Okay. The people who are wired to... Uh, produce the behaviors easily are going to feel bad that they're not able to struggle. struggle. And the answer, it's a very valid question, but the answer was already told to us in chapter 15, and I'll just refer you back to there. And basically what it says over there, in so many words, is if you're finding that your difficulty settings are too low, just crank it up a notch, because there are infinite levels. So just, you know, put some more weight on the bar. That's all there is. Okay. Now, what does he say? Chapter 27. He says like this. A person is feeling down because of his, what we're calling shame. Struggle. His shame about what he likes. What he's attracted to. Who he is. Right. Well, well like we explained in chapter 3. When, we, when, when I talk about who I am, who I am means my feelings, my emotions. What I do are my behaviors. But who I am, that means the kind of stuff that I like. So he's, he's ashamed of that. And he's feeling bad about it. So we tell him like this. Not only should you not feel bad, you should feel happy. Why should you feel happy? It's very simple. There's a mitzvah. We mention this mitzvah every time we say Shema. Don't go straying after your eyes and after your heart. Now that's a mitzvah. That's one of the 613 commandments. Specifically, it's one of the 365 prohibitions. Do not go straying after that stuff that you like. In order to adhere to that prohibition, there has to be stuff that's forbidden that you like. So who is that mitzvah speaking to? It's speaking to somebody who would otherwise have things that he or she would be doing, except for the fact that Hashem doesn't want you to do that. So every time you have a desire that is not in keeping with Hashem's will for you, you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, that mitzvah. And if you really care, see, here, here, here's the pertinent point. If you really care about giving Hashem what Hashem wants, as opposed to you looking at your spiritual uh, growth as some type of personal fulfillment, then what, what does it matter to you which mitzvah you're doing? See, if you look at it as personal fulfillment, you want to do mitzvahs because you want to grow, because you want to be spiritual, you want to be holy, then yeah, I guess 
it's embarrassing to do the mitzvah of don't go straying after your eyes and your heart. That's an embarrassing mitzvah. I'd rather do more glorious mitzvahs. But if it's about giving Hashem what Hashem wants, well, Hashem just told me one of the things He wants is that mitzvah. And, and in fact, if I'm a tzaddik, I can't give Hashem that mitzvah. Something tells me that I've told this story already, and it wouldn't surprise me if I have told this story already, because, like I said, this is one of the recurring themes in Tanya, but it bears repeating, and especially at this point. Did I tell you the story about the shliach, who was makad of a young man, the man was becoming fairly observant, and he, he finally he made a confession to the shliach. He told him that he's engaged to a non-Jewish woman. I told you the story? No. He admits that he's engaged to a non-Jewish woman. Okay, very serious relationship. Engaged. And, uh, and at the same time, though, he's, he's pretty much observant at this point, and he's torn, and he doesn't know what to do. So the shliach tells him that he should go to the rabbi. He says, my parents, his parents were not religious, I don't believe, but, you know, traditional and obviously mortified by the prospect of their son marrying out. So he says, my parents already brought me to rabbis. So I don't see what difference it will be to go to another rabbi. The shliach persisted. He said, you should go to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So the young man came to the Rebbe for dollars and um, came to the Rebbe and he, he told him I mean, the whole interaction was very brief. That I'm engaged to a non-Jewish woman. And the Rebbe told him, I envy you. So he didn't understand that he was, he was, uh, yeah, he was confused by that, that statement. Bewildered. And the, and, the, and the Rebbe explained. The Rebbe explained. You have an opportunity to make a sacrifice for Hashem that I was never in a position to make because it's not something I ever wanted therefore it's not something that I can give up for Hashem but this is something that you did become involved in obviously you are you do have a desire and by foregoing your desire you're making a major a major sacrifice for Hashem so I envy your opportunity to make this type of Sacrifice for Hashem. Obviously, we know this wasn't just to make somebody feel good. This wasn't just uh, to be nice. This is truth. A person who has a struggle and overcomes the struggle is giving a gift to Hashem. It's a special gift that he's giving to Hashem. He's doing it for Hashem. He's not doing it for himself. If he would do what he wants to do, he would have married her. That's right. And figured out some way. I'll be as observant as I can while I'm intermarried. Or whatever rationalization he would make. But if he wants to really do it Hashem's way, then he has to do what he doesn't want. He has to do something that's extremely emotionally difficult for him. Well, that's a gift. That's a very precious gift. 
the tzaddik doesn't have an opportunity to give that gift because remember the tzaddik's emotions are all completely instinctively in line with God's will. So there's no sacrifice, at least not in that sense of the word sacrifice. Does the Bainini have sacrifice? Yes, the Bainini is all sacrifice. That's correct, yeah, for sure. Because remember, as we learned in chapter 12 and 13 and 14, the Bainini emotionally, emotionally is identical to Arasha. Yes, we're speaking about, specifically about a Bainini. A Bainini is all sacrifice. Yeah? Um, I, I understand that the godly soul and Hashem wants to do Hashem's will no matter what, but if the person is not, like, is blocked, is not consciously aware that he or she really wants to do Hashem's will, then where does the thought even of, of making the sacrifice for Hashem come from? I mean, I mean how, can, how can a person, you know, get on the path of, of, of tshuva, of reevaluating titles, of wanting to make that sacrifice? You're asking, how does a person even want to make the sacrifice? Kind of, consciously want. I mean, I'm not talking about the desire of the soul. I'm talking about a person with a tough taiva who has to say to him or herself, this is struggle for me, but I have to work at it. Okay, so remember the context here of the chapter. This chapter is not to tell you how to overcome your taivas. We did that already. We did that already. Because, remember, let's remember where we're at. The first thing we were told, as far as how to overcome your desires, we were told, and that meant self-control. And that was chapter 12, we, we, we learned that concept. Just inhibition, don't do it. Then we learned another tool, part 2, which was chapter 16 and 17, which was go meditate on the greatness of God, and you'll come to care about God more. And then hopefully your caring for what God wants will be at least in competition with your caring for whatever it is that you want. And then if that's not enough, we gave another tool, which was chapters 18 through 25, which is remember your latent, hidden love, your natural love that you have hardwired into your godly soul. So that's done. We're not even addressing that anymore. What are we talking about now? We're talking about a person. We're talking to a person who is successful. Chapter 27 is talking to a Bainini. Chapter 27 is talking to a person with perfect behavior. They're not, chapter 27 is not talking to a person who's saying, how do I overcome my desires? Chapter 27 is talking to a person who has perfect behavior and has a secret, a dirty secret that is inwardly destroying him or her. That's all chapter 27 is speaking about. It's speaking about a person who is doing wonderfully. From the outside, everybody else is saying, wow, you've really got this. And he or she is thinking, if you only knew, if you only knew what evil lurks in the hearts of men, the shadow knows. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's all chapter 27 is talking about. I just my question, not how to overcome, but a person, like you said the whole time, is about like we're a chassid in front of the Alta Rebbe. I'm saying a person has to want to go with these questions, right? A person right. has to want to right. recognize the title. And right. that's more or less what I was asking about. But Correct. But this, is the, but this chapter 
is only talking to somebody who only has the problem of, if you guys really knew what kind of stuff I really like, he doesn't have any other problem. If the person's problem is that he still can't control himself, then we got to go to earlier chapters. But this is a person who is controlling himself and has this the, the, the dirty secret. So the al Rebbe tells him, okay, let's deal with the dirty secret. First of all, your dirty secret is not a secret. Hashem knows about it. Hashem talks about it in the Torah. It's pretty universal. It's pretty common. You and, and, and the rest of humanity, you know, welcome to the club. That's first of all. You're not so special. First of all, you're not so special. But second of all, and this is, this is the main point we're making, cherish this. This isn't about your perfection. This is about the gift that you can give to Hashem. So if the overcoming of the struggle is a gift to Hashem, then having the struggle is part of giving a gift to Hashem. What about your past deeds? That we covered, that we covered in chapter... Past deeds were covered in chapter 26. This is talking about somebody who is living with it now. Not behaviors now, but with the desires now. So, Al-Tanabi reframes the whole thing. And he says, he goes further. And he, and he it gets a little bit harsh for a second. And the Al-Tanabi says that actually, this is arrogance. You want to be a tzaddik. You want to have no struggle. You want to just naturally do everything perfect. The Rebbe then says, you want to serve like a tzaddik? Ask yourself if you're even yet a benini. How about we go step by step? Don't worry about Avedis HaTzadikim about having natural purity of, 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 of mind and heart. Let's talk about regular people who do not have purity of mind and heart. Be humble, be realistic, and admit that you're part of that group, which is Struggling. the vast majority of us, and that that's just part of life, and now the question is how to regard that part of life. And the answer is, you should regard it as an opportunity to do a mitzvah. In other words, I, I want to be clear. It's not that you should gl glorify the fact that you have this perverse streak, that you have these underlying desires that are antithetical to God's will for you. We're not glorifying the desire. But we're cherishing the opportunity that the desire brings. So if I wouldn't have the desire that needs to be overcome, I wouldn't have the opportunity to overcome anything. Hence, I mean, the, the, the story of the Rebbe really summarizes it most potently and poignantly, which is that Sadik says to the Benini, I envy you because I don't have that opportunity to make that sacrifice. Okay? Yeah. I think that this is one of the reasons why people who are in recovery and who are who have addictions will often introduce themselves. I am a grateful alcoholic. I am a grateful compulsive overeater. Why? Because they're they recognize that they have been given a nature or a physical reaction to certain things that other people may not have that challenge. And rather than making it something to feel ashamed about, 
they understand that it actually bumps them up to a different level of a voter that they have an opportunity right. to use on a very basic, basic with basic things. Right. Right. Because if I didn't have this challenge, I would never have been forced to rise to meet the challenge. Right. So ultimately, and let, let's make sure we, we always keep our focus on what really matters. Ultimately. Hashem gets more out of me, because this is, this is, uh, remember, this is not about my fulfillment here. This is about service. Hashem gets more out of me as an imperfect, challenged, frail, fragile being than as someone who is spiritually perfect. Now, that's not to say that there isn't some value to the, the service of Hashem that tzaddikim provide. We're not negating that, because then we could go to the other extreme, and we could say, oh, then what, what do we need tzaddikim for? The Al-Tarebbe provides a, uh, a metaphor. It's not uh, original to, to Tanya. It's actually it's from, uh, from the Zoya. There's a verse where Yitzchak says, Asei li metamim kashero havti. Prepare for me delicacies as I en enjoy. Delicacies is written plural. And the Zoya explains that what is, what's happening here, that on a spiritual level, it's describing Hashem's love for two kinds of delicacies. Sometimes you like a sweet dessert. You want uh, the, uh, what, what's uh, the chocolate mousse? Good choice. It was a good choice? Thank you. <laughs> I was trying to think fast. And uh, that's like a tzaddik. A tzaddik is a treat for Hashem. It's sweet. It's yummy. Very pleasant. It's like a dessert. But sometimes, you're not looking for dessert. Sometimes you want to have the jalapeno poppers. <laughs> you like that? Was that a good one? Jalapeno poppers? Okay. And it's spicy, and it's savory, and maybe even it hurts a little bit to eat it, but oh, it's a good kind of hurt, right? Okay. That's the bainani. That's how Hashem savors the, the avoida of the bainani. It's like spicy food. It's like a spicy treat. Hashem enjoys both. Hashem wants both. So there's a place for both kinds of Jews. And also, within each of us, there's a place for both. Because remember, there are mitzvahs that we are tzaddikim. I don't know, at least one mitzvah that you're a tzaddik in, right? So you don't have to bemoan that and say, oh, no, I have this mitzvah that I actually am so unconflicted about. I just naturally do it, and I love doing it, and 
that's fine. That's your tzaddik uh, mode, and that's when you, that's the, you know, once in a while you give Hashem some uh, chocolate mousse. But then, you know, most of, uh, for most of us, most of the way we serve Hashem is more of the jalapeno popper mode, which is the spicy and uh, savory treats, where the, the, the good taste that we're causing Hashem is a taste that comes from that, uh, from that conflict, over the overcoming of the conflict. Okay. But yeah. They're not overcoming their desires. They're sort of more sacrificing themselves. Completely. Okay. So it's really a sacrifice of self. It's so, not even a struggle anymore. It's just sacrificing self so that you're really just nullifying the okay. will of God and then you're just living a lie. I mean, it's not a lie, well, but you're not true to yourself. You're talking about abandoning. I'm talking about the person who has interesting struggles. Okay. So you're saying it's not overcoming your struggle. It's not eradicating the desire. But that's not even the goal. The goal is not to eradicate the desire. In fact... And th this is an important detail that I'm, I'm glad you're giving me an opportunity to bring out. The Al-Tadeba discusses there, after he establishes the value of having these types of um, unwholesome desires. Oh, and by the way, when the Al-Tadeba is talking about unwholesome desires, he means anything that is not according to Torah, anything that's not according to what Hashem wants from you in life, but when he gives examples, he only gives one example. It's not limited to that example, but it's interesting the Alter Rebbe only gives one example. The one example the Alter Rebbe, Freud would love this. The one example of conflict that the Alter Rebbe gives as far as desires that have to be curbed and put in their place are inappropriate sexual desires. That's what the Alter Rebbe says. Which is, is always funny to me. You know, they say every generation thinks they're the first ones to invent. <laughs> yeah, fill in the blank. It's always interesting to me when young people who have studied Tanya come to me and they'll like admit to me this, this terrible confession about these, these conflicts that they're having. And, when, you know, they, I can't tell anybody about this. Oh, I, I'm, not, I'm so... They think they're so different, they think... And I always ask them, how did you miss this line in Tanya? Like, you studied Tanya. I'm talking about kids who studied Tanya. You studied Tanya, it says it, the Altarebbe says it right there, that a person is feeling shame about his conflict specifically. He says, Hirhure Niuf. He says right there. He says, Bein Behater... Whether of a permissible nature or he doesn't finish it because the Al Rebbe is a refined author, but he says whether of a permissible permissible nature or of a Different. meaning other thoughts. Not permissible, right? So whether it's fantasizing about things that are permissible or things that are not. Okay. The point is that after the Altareb establishes that there is intern, there, there is an inherent value, intrinsic value, in, in having these struggles and overcoming them, the Altareb then quantifies how 
I'll tell you, uh, uh, there, there, there's an old joke. The joke is that it says in Pirkei Ovis, or uh, actually, no, it's not in Pirkei Ovis, it's a Gemara, that um, silence, that a word is worth one coin, but silence is worth two coins. It's a saying of our sages, right? Okay. The joke about that saying is, so how do you make more money, by talking or keeping quiet? And the answer is, by talking. Well, hold on, but it says that a word is for one coin, silence is two coins. But the, the, the joke answer is, yeah, but you can only be silent once. But when you talk, you can do it repeatedly. So it's one coin, but it's one coin over and over and over again. Okay. So the question becomes, okay, there's value in having the struggle. All right, how much value? Maybe just, maybe there's a quantifiable value to, to, to it, and it makes no difference whether I've had it for one moment in my life or I've had it a hundred times in my life. It makes no difference whether I struggled with it for a minute or if the struggle took, you know, six hours. You know the old joke about the guy on the first morning after he's married, right after the chasana. He decides he's going to start his new married life on the right foot. He's going to get up at 5 in the morning and go to Koilo. And the Yitzhahara came and told him, go back to bed. He says, it's too early. You had a chasna last night. Come on, sleep in. You're a chasna, daimel melech, sleep in. Then the Yitzhahara came back and said, no. You have to start your new life. You have to start it on the right foot. Get up. Then the Yitzhahara came and says, no, you have to rest. You have Shavu Brachas tonight. And the Yitzhah came. No, get up. Yitzhah says, go back to sleep. He says, I want to tell you something. Yitzhah, 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 Yitzhah. They were going back and forth and back and forth. But the bottom line is, you should know who won. Yitzhah won. It took him five hours. But he won. <laughs> so the question is, okay, fine. There's, there's value to the struggle. But... How much? Maybe it's enough that I've had it once in my life, a few times in my life. Or, you know, maybe it's enough that when I have it, I have it for a few seconds and then I shake, you know, shake it off and then I move on. Is there more value if I have it repeatedly? Is there more value if it takes longer to throw off? Yeah. And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Daltarev explains that every moment you're engaged in the struggle has value. And the Al-Drebbe even says, and this is almost, a, I hesitate to say, but a frightening turn of phrase, the Al-Drebbe says, even if he would spend his entire life occupied this way, it would continue having value. In other words, the question becomes, well, what if every moment that I have a desire and I push it away and I overcome it, the next moment, I'm, I'm beset with the same desire, or another desire, whatever, but I just keep on getting throttled. And the answer is, okay, so every moment you're doing a mitzvah. Every moment you're giving Hashem a present. And, and, and then he explains a little bit more, because I, I, I think we have to understand. This is all in the realm of machshava. It's not even machshava. It's the, an impulse it's for machshava. Because if you, if you would take it and run with it as a full-fledged willful fantasy, 
now 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 you've now now you've sinned. You're not abandoning me anymore. But this is it, it's knocking at the door. Remember we spoke about the knock at the door. Right, and you're not opening the door. Meaning, it's saying, can we think about this? And you keep saying, no, we cannot think about this. Okay. So yeah? Is there less value in surrender? Once there's surrender, then you don't have to struggle anymore. Now is that a downgrade from the having being in that place where you're struggling? Well, this is a form of surrender. This is accepting the fact that these impulses are there. Okay, but what if the, then within that the impulses are, are removed? Oh, if eventually... That impulse is removed, then great. Now you're a chocolate mousse. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. As long as you're a chocolate mousse or a jalapeno popper, the only thing you shouldn't be is obviously the person who struggles and then gives in. Oh, but by the way, I don't want anyone to use this to um, as a backup plan. But let's say you struggle and you struggle and you struggle, and in the in the end, eventually you do give in. Was there value to the struggle up until the point you gave it? Yes. Yes, of course there was. Of course there was value to it. So every moment that you're living, you're, you're in a different place. Sometimes the struggle and you're succeeding, and that's a value, a mitzvah. And then when you, you surrender or you fail, that's a moment of failure. But you can continue to struggle and resist five seconds later, and then you're again... That's, that's correct. That's mouth. correct. So that's not only life. was a, a, huh? not life. only yeah, yeah, that's what I'm is is every moment of struggle up until the point that you failed valuable, but even getting right back on the horse again and the moment after you failed, that struggle is also valuable. But the best thing is not to fail. Okay, but I, I don't want to give anyone <laughs> I don't want to give anybody a blank check here for you know. We're all humans. Okay. That's but, I don't have to give people blank checks to. Uh, you don't need. You don't need my get out of jail free card to uh, sin. sin once in a while. Okay, we know how to do that. Okay, all right. At any rate, I, I want to focus here because we have. The only reason very, I ask yeah. is because when people think that they think in absolutes. Right. No, I'm, bad, no value I'm in bad. I'm no. bad. No, no. The struggle, and then when you're good, it's also very, very important. That moment when you're good. I, I want to focus on a little bit more because there's a lot more to the chapter as, as far as the the mechanics of what is accomplished because it's one thing just to say your struggle has value but again you know in Chsidis Chabad we don't just take things at face value we don't just say I believe it to be so we explain it how it is so the Altar explains the mechanics of how your struggle is valuable. One of the reasons that your struggle is valuable is because of the interlinked or interwoven nature of reality. And not just that things are interlinked and interwoven, but specifically that there's a special leverage that happens in the heart of the Jew, where there's sort of a battlefield in your personal life, but the repercussions are cosmic. So every time you win a victory on a personal level, there are cosmic ramifications. You subdue the forces of negativity in the universe. So you should just know that when you control yourself, and if you wouldn't have an unwholesome drive at that moment, you would have nothing, you wouldn't be able to even engage that that negativity. 
You wouldn't even have this opportunity. So the fact that you do have that unwholesome drive and you have to engage it, but then you successfully control it, that has a ripple effect in the universe which benefits all worlds. Even the spiritual worlds benefit from this. This is exceedingly important to remember that your battle has universal ramifications. It's not just about you. You are making the universe an easier place within which to serve Hashem. You don't know who you're helping. When you control yourself, even for a moment, you don't know how that plays out in the life of someone who, who, who you've never met or may never meet. But somebody who was going through a struggle, let's say, that's much more, much more high stakes than yours, and suddenly found this boost of, of energy to do the right thing, and where did that come from? You provided that. You put that out into the universe. Now I want to add one more thing. Is the opposite true? The opposite is obviously true, but this is chassidus, so we don't dwell on that. <laughs> yes. No. One more thing in this chapter. Once we realize how impactful our struggle is, that it has value, that it has impact, that it has cosmic repercussions, we find out that we don't even have to wait for a sinful impulse to make good on this opportunity. At the very end of chapter 27, like the last page of it, he talks about self-control when there's no sin on the table. What does that mean? Kaddish Sanctify yourself in the permissible realm. That even in the realm of that which is permissible, you can exercise self-control. So it gives an example there that the sages, the scholars, in the times of the Talmud, says they used to eat breakfast later than everyone else. What, what, what was the point of eating breakfast later? So that they would learn more? They would learn until breakfast? And then they would eat breakfast. You know what they would do right after finishing breakfast? They would continue learning. So eating breakfast later doesn't make more learning. It's the same break. It doesn't matter where the break is. They were learning Torah until they ate breakfast. They, they learned Torah after they ate breakfast. So why were they eating breakfast later? Why was that like a scholar thing to do? That simply pushing off, exhibiting mastery in this, in this regard, and pushing off... This permissible desire, it's a permissible and necessary thing, you've got to eat. But simply telling yourself, your animal soul, you know what, we're going to eat when I say so. So it's not even a discussion about permissible or, or, or prohibited. It's not about should I eat the kosher or not the kosher. It's all kosher. It's not even a question, should I eat a piece of fruit or should I eat chocolate cake? It's a question of, should I eat it now just because I feel like it now? Or maybe I'll do it in an hour. 
I won't, I'm not going to starve to death. I'll eat it in an hour. And the wonderful thing is, the same mechanics that are at work when we stave off sinful impulses, the exact same mechanics with the same cosmic repercussions are at work when we exhibit self-control even in totally permissible impulses. He gives another example. Food is a big one. Food is obviously a big one because that's such a basic desire. Okay. He gives another example. Speech. We're not talking about, oh, I really want to say this juicy lush and hot. No, obviously, that, that's, that's, that's sinful. We're saying even in the realm of totally permissible speech, I don't have to say everything I feel like saying just because I feel like saying it, even if it's totally permissible. And the value of exercising that self-control is as powerful as what we described earlier in the chapter regarding exhibiting self-control in the, regarding uh, matters of, of actual prohibition. Yeah? That's a great question. The question is, are you supposed to first master everything else and then this is like another level? And the answer is no, you don't have to. You can start doing this now. By the way, the term for this, the term is from the Zayar, therefore it's an Aramaic word. The term is iskafia. Iskafia is, to, it means to subjugate. Koife means subjugate or push down. So, so there's ishapcha, which is transformation. That's where I take the negative impulse and I turn it into a positive impulse. This is iskafia, subjugation. The negative impulse remains what it is, but I hold it in check. So we're taught, just like you can have iskafia and rein yourself in regarding sinful impulses, you can and should have iskafia regarding impulses that are totally permissible and that it has value. And that, to answer your question, yeah, you can start doing this now. So you don't have to tell yourself, you know what, I'm not even a Bainini yet. I still trip up in, in, in thought, speech, and action. So I'm not going to worry yet about uh, exhibiting self-control in permissible areas. Don't make that mistake. If you have the ability to, you know, be an adult and uh, you have a choice between two boxes of cereal on the table, and one you like better than the other one. And just take the box of cereal that you don't like. You're not a baby. You don't have to have uh, your favorite flavor cereal. And then take the cereal that you don't like. Dafka because you want to show your animal soul that it doesn't get to call the shots. And when you make that choice, <coughs> make no mistake about it. Something holy, something godly is happening, which furthermore has positive ramifications for the universe. So don't squander that opportunity just because you're not perfect yet in all areas of thought, speech, and action. It's for the universe yeah. and for yourself. It's for the universe and for yourself, and, and both are ultimately for God. Because it's about giving something to a chef. But it changes you as a person when you, do, when you constantly do those... 
it does change you. But remember also, if it changed you to the degree that it got rid of the desire, that's called transformation, ishapcha. But this isn't getting rid of the, the desire. This is simply training yourself not to be, not to expect that desires have to be fulfilled. Immediately. Or ever. Some desires you don't ever have to fulfill. Other desires you don't have to fulfill immediately. Is there value to, let's say, um, let's give an example. You know, I want to check my email. It's not like there's something specifically urgent, some business I have to attend to. I just want to see if anybody wrote me, right? Just for pleasure, I want to check my email. And to say, you know what? I'll check my email in an hour. Right now, I'm going to go study. Right now, I'm going to go do an act of kindness. Whatever it is. That leverage, it's all about the leverage. When you get down into the, those basic instincts of wanting fulfillment and not allowing it, taking control over it, that's where we get real. When you get leverage, that's where you get power. That's where you get impact. So, okay, just to, to wrap it up and to summarize. Chapter 27 is, don't feel bad about the fact that you have sinful impulses. To the contrary, celebrate that as an opportunity to give Hashem a gift, to perform the mitzvah of not straying after your eyes and your heart. Furthermore, appreciate the fact that even if you would constantly be involved in this, it would have value every single moment that you're involved in it. Furthermore, remember that the impact that this has is not just for you, but for the whole universe. And lastly, remember that um, we can start doing this even in the area of that which is completely permissible, and it will have the same impact. Yeah. Yeah? Is that the source of where most older generation Hasidim yeah, would, yeah, would suffer and limit yeah. themselves? So I'll just, I'll just close with a saying, a good old Hasidic aphorism, a one-liner. Was men tornit, torminit. Und was men darf, and was men meg, darf minit. That what you're not allowed to do, was men tornit, torminit. What you're allowed to do, what... What you're not allowed to do, you're surely not allowed to do. No question. That's that's forbidden. What you are allowed to do, that which is permissible, you don't have to do it. That's the second part of chapter 27. That, that even something that technically, it's not a problem. Who cares? Go ahead. And, and we say, you know what? There is spiritual value to say no to yourself. Okay, all right, let's end there. All right.